This morning we're continuing our sermon series uh, that we have titled Jesus, and we've been going through the, the Gospel of Mark. And so I want to just circle quickly to where we left off last week as we continue today. Uh, last week we were reading at the end of Mark chapter 4, the beginning of Mark chapter 5, Jesus had been ministering to a large crowd in, in his hometown in the, the Jewish-friendly community of Capernaum. There was a large crowd. He was in a boat. Things were going great. And then he made a surprising decision to leave that place and to sail across the lake to the, the eastern side of the lake to an area that wasn't so hospitable to, to Jews. This was the land of the Gentiles. It was far from home. It was dangerous, and he decided we need to leave the crowd and we need to go there. And we asked the question, why? Why would Jesus leave the crowd where so many good things were going to, to travel across this lake, which was dangerous, and sure enough, a storm uh, blew in and, and threatened to, to drown them all. Why would he leave to go to this faraway land? Well, as soon as they arrived and he stepped foot out of the boat, we got the answer to that question. There was a man who was possessed by demons, and he ran to Jesus, and he fell at his feet. And the, the demons in the man spoke to Jesus and said, please don't, don't cast us out of this region. And so Jesus cast the demons into, a pig, into the pigs, and the, the pigs ran off the side of the cliff and drowned. Jesus left the crowd. He left the 99 to go and reach one person one lost sheep of a person. And then the scripture says he got back in the boat and sailed back across the lake to where, where it all started from. And so that's where we're going to pick up uh, the story today. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, you tell us that your word is uh, alive. It's living and active. Uh, this is just not a, a historical account of things that happened a long time ago. Uh, Lord, but this is you revealing yourself to us today. And so we pray that your spirit would, would use your word, would penetrate our hearts. Lord, would move us uh, just one step further in our, in our uh, trust and our faith uh, in you. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to jump in at, at Mark chapter 5, uh, I believe it's verse 20. When Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, so this is now returning, he's coming back. When he crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So that crowd that was there when he left, news comes that he's returning and sure enough the crowd all gathers they're waiting for him when he returns then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there seeing Jesus he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him my little daughter is dying please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live so Jesus went with him. So we want to stop at this point. Uh, as we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, what we've noticed is that up until this point, there have not been a lot of positive interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders. 
almost every single encounter that he has with religious leaders ends poorly. They're, they're, the religious leaders are threatened by him. They're, they're angry with him. But not everybody. Here is a leader in the synagogue, a synagogue ruler. He was probably in the synagogue that day when Jesus saw the man with the shriveled hand and healed him on the, the Sabbath. And remember, that was the, the event that made all of the Pharisees so angry that he healed this person on the Sabbath that they even decided they wanted to kill him. This man was probably there. And he observed that. And instead of wanting to kill him, instead of being threatened by Jesus, a little spark of curiosity was, was planted in this man's heart. Who is this that is able to speak a word and heal somebody with a shriveled hand? And now that life has, has thrown him a curveball, now that he has a daughter who is dying, he sees in Jesus hope. Hope for healing. Now, I, I find it interesting. The crowd is all pressing around as Jesus returns. And, and this synagogue ruler is able to get right up to Jesus. Why is that? Maybe it's because of, of who he was. You know, this was a man who had some standing in the community, a synagogue ruler. This was a man who maybe the, the crowd would part and let him get right up to Jesus. Maybe it's because he's so determined. Like when, when your daughter is sick and she's dying, there's nothing you won't do. He's going to get to Jesus one way or the other. So he gets up to Jesus. And, and this is a man who is a, a man of means. He's dignified. He's got a reputation in the community. He's probably a man of wealth. But none of that can do a single thing for his little girl. All of that doesn't matter. His little girl is, is sick and she's dying. He is simply a desperate parent at this point. A desperate parent facing one of the greatest heartaches imaginable. His child is dying. Every instinct within this dad is to, to be able to look his daughter in the eye and say, sweetie, daddy's not going to let anything bad happen to you. That's what he so desperately wants to do, but he can't make that promise. This is something that is beyond his control. Now, as we read this, uh, I am so aware that in our, our community here uh, that we all can, can work and imagine what that must have been like. Uh, and I'm also aware that there are some in our community here who don't have to imagine because you've gone through it. You've experienced a child who is ser seriously ill, uh, a child, perhaps, who, who died. At this point, Jairus couldn't care anything about maintaining any sense of dignity or, or composure. He flung himself down at Jesus' feet, just like the man who was oppressed by demons. I want you to picture that in your mind, these two men who have thrown themselves down at the feet of Jesus. These men couldn't be any more different from one another. One man, a Jew. The other man, a Gentile. One man, dignified and respected in the community. The other man, the community has come together and chained this man in shackles, completely isolating him. 
One man pious, religious, holy, the other man oppressed and possessed by demons. Such different men from the opposite sides of the lake, and yet they share common ground with one another at the feet of Jesus. I was thinking about that image, these two men, such different men at the feet of Jesus, and I thought, that is a picture of the church. At least it should be a picture of the church, the church universal, the, the, the worldwide church. The church is comprised of people from every walk of life. The scripture says every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, people who are so different, people from the first world, people from the third world. And yet despite all of those differences, people who have solidarity with one another at the feet of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, leading worship in a, a Lutheran church uh, down in southern Illinois. And uh, they were celebrating uh, communion like we will today. And, and they celebrate a little different from, from anything that I've ever done. They have a, a railing at the front of their church and they come forward in groups and they fill up that uh, that kneeling rail up at the railing, and then you serve them one by one. And what was so beautiful about it was that kneeled at this railing were people that were so different from one another. And this is a small community in southern Illinois, small rural community, and yet the people were still so different, elderly, young, people you could tell that, that had some, some means, people that, that probably didn't have anything, people dressed up in in ties and, and looking sharp and people who had showed up in bibs and yet and yet there they are all before the feet of Jesus all kneeling before the altar receiving the sacrament the church who we are we are not the community that is set aside for those who have life by the tail that is not who we are we are the the church we are the community of those who are come together with a common heart cry. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's what binds us together at the feet of Jesus. I give Jairus a lot of credit for his courage. I, I say that because I know what lingers in my heart, this pride that wants to look like I have it all together. I don't want people to see my, my flaws and, and, and concerned about looking good or at least not looking bad. And here is Jairus. He throws all of that out the window and just humbles himself and throws himself down at the feet of Jesus. He is compelled by his love for his daughter. My little daughter, he says, is dying Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. That word little jumps off the, the page at me. Uh, we read further in the text that the girl was 12 years old. Uh, the word little doesn't mean that she's small, and it doesn't mean that she's young. This is the word that a father would use for their child. Like, like my daughter, who is now 24 She's always, <laughs> glad I got that right. She's always going to be my little girl. This is a dad who's saying, this is my little girl. 
has nothing to do with age, has nothing to do with size. This is a, you know, this is, this is my girl. And, he, and so Jesus, my little girl, she's dying. Please come, put your hands on my little girl so that she will be saved. Notice this, this request, what we would call a prayer. It is straightforward. Like he doesn't complicate this prayer with a, a whole lot of words. There's no like sequence of, of things that he has to say in the right order. There's no secret formula to get Jesus' attention. Essentially what he says is, Jesus, help. I mean, what a great prayer. Jesus, help. So Jesus helped. So Jesus went with him. And so they are on the way to, to where the little girl is and then that is interrupted by a, another story. Continue reading. I'm going to read the, the whole story, and then we'll talk about, about it. A large crowd followed, and they were pressing around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She spent all she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who it was that had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is now our third consecutive story of someone coming and throwing themselves at the feet of Jesus. But as we just read, that's not how this story starts this was a woman who heard that Jesus is passing by, and like Jairus, she's desperate. She's tried everything. She's gone to every doctor that she can imagine. She's spent every last cent that she has, and despite all of these efforts, instead of getting better, she gets worse. With every failed treatment, her hopes just continue to get crushed this was more than just not feeling well for her. This is not just a sick woman. In Jewish law, this woman was ritually unclean because of her flow of blood. She, according to the purity laws, had to be isolated from community. So she's not just a sick woman. She is now an impoverished woman, a sick woman, and a woman who is alone. Worst of all, for 12 years, she has been alone. Whereas Jairus cut right through the crowd, got a front row seat, was able to just throw himself right at the feet of Jesus. This is a woman who probably thought, I'm not worthy of that. The crowd probably won't 
won't part for me to be able to come up to Jesus. And so her plan was just to squeeze as, as much as she could through the crowd so that she could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment and then, and then disappear as quickly as she could, believing that if she did that, she'd be healed. And sure enough, instantly, she's healed. And then she wants to fade away into the crowd as quickly as possible. She wouldn't have to interrupt Jesus she wouldn't have to interfere with this important mission that he was on, with this important person. She wouldn't have to have the spotlight shining on her. She could do all of this quietly without interfering, without bothering him. But it seems like Jesus wanted to interfere with her. He wasn't about to just let her slip away. Who touched me, he asked. To which the disciples were like, Master, everybody's touching you. I mean, don't mean to be rude, but that's kind of a silly question, Jesus. Everyone's touching you. But he was determined to find the one person who was touching him with the hands of faith. And when that woman recognized that she wasn't going to be able to escape the spotlight, she came and fell at Jesus' feet, trembling with fear. What do you think she was afraid of? Fear of being exposed in this large crowd? Fear of being judged? After all, she was violating the, the purity laws by being in the crowd, by daring to reach out and touch this man? Fear of just her place in the world, that she was a, a human being worthy of, of dignity. Fear of having presumed that she could just reach out and take her miracle. Afraid, she tells him the whole truth. I've got to think that that took a little while. And Jesus, of course, patiently listened as she shared the, the whole truth. And my thought is of Jairus, standing there whose daughter is dying and they're now being delayed I'm sure Jairus cared about this woman and was concerned, but he had something bigger on his mind. We've got to get to, to my daughter. But Jesus has stopped and he's listening. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Notice what he calls her daughter. Daughter, we've just heard this word come out of Jairus' lips about his little girl. And now Jesus is using the same word about essentially his little girl. How incredible that word must have sounded to her. How life-giving, how soul-healing to hear Jesus call her daughter. She'd been healed from her bleeding, but now Jesus healed her from her sense of, of unworth. Twelve years of isolation had taken a toll on her. She needed more than just to be healed from her, her physical malady. Her soul was in need of healing. She needed to know she was loved, that she had value, that she mattered. She was, she was worthy of having the spotlight shine on her. She was worthy of Jesus' time. She was worthy of Jesus' attention. And she wasn't healed because of some superstitious touch of a, a piece of Jesus' garment. She was healed by a Savior 
who loved her like a father loves a daughter, my little girl. Go in peace, he said. That word peace is, is the word shalom in Hebrew. Go, and it's not just, you know, be cured of this sickness, but it means go be whole, be full, be well. And just as Jesus says that, a report comes that no parent ever wants to hear. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus might have been able to heal the girl while she was still alive, but now she's dead. What could he possibly do? Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's interesting to me that, that the woman healed of her bleeding and, and now these people who are coming with this news, they both have this instinct that, that we ought not bother Jesus. I think we can rightly say that Jesus wants to be bothered. He wants to be bothered by his people. He wants us to bother him. He wants us to, to reach out to him with everything. Our problem is not that we bother Jesus too much that we don't bother him enough. We don't include him enough. Well, Jesus ignored what they said, and he told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and all of this wailing? The child's not dead, but she's asleep. But they laughed at him. These are professional mourners. These are people who get paid to, to come to a situation like this and help the family grieve. They get paid to come and, and cry and, and wail this is why their cries turn so quickly to laughter. For them, this is a job. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to take the job away from you. I'm going to heal this woman. And so they mock him. They, they laugh at him. Jesus had no use for them. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Arise, Jesus said. And this little girl who was not asleep, she was dead. This dead girl got up. Jesus had proven his authority over the wind and the waves just a few days earlier during the storm when he said, quiet, be still. And the wind and the waves just grew completely calm. He had proved his authority over the demons when he said to the demon, 
dispossessed man out into the pigs. He proved his authority over the debilitating sickness that this woman had. And now, in the ultimate display of authority, he demonstrates his authority over even death. So this week, I struggled with this passage. I was thinking, you know, when we read these stories and we're reading every week, it seems like the next miracle, the next healing, the next amazing thing, it seems like Jesus never swings and misses. Like when he gets involved, it always works. There's always healing. And I struggled with that because I know for us, that's not always the case. I mean... I imagine here there are so many stories that where you have prayed and for every story where, where the healing has come, there's a story where the healing hasn't come. I was thinking this week of, of you, Bill and B. I was thinking of Rich and Sherry and people who have lost a child, people who have prayed that prayer just as desperately, just, just as earnest, Lord, save our child. And the healing didn't come. And as I wrestled with this, I thought about this girl, 12-year-old girl. She died. She's dead. And Jesus walks into this room with her parents. She's not sleeping. She's dead. And he says, arise. Little girl, get up. And up she sprang. And the thought occurred to me that this is exactly what happens when we die in the Lord. We get our healing 100% of the time. Jesus never swings and misses. It's a matter of what we get our healing on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity. I mean, that little girl would die again. And then she'd get her eternal healing. Arise. When our loved ones die in the Lord and Jesus says, arise, up they spring. More alive then than ever they were on this side of eternity. It's right for us to pray for healing for those that we love. But it's also right for us to rejoice in the resurrection. To take comfort in that hardest time that those who we love in Christ are healed completely, fully alive, arise. This morning we have the opportunity to come to the table. And I was thinking about Jesus hanging on the cross. People mocking him, just like those who were laughing. She's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed at him at the cross. There are people mocking Jesus. He saved others but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, let this King of Israel come down from the cross that we might see and believe. Clearly, Jesus had demonstrated power over death. Jesus had the power to do exactly the thing that they were saying. If he wished, he could have come, stepped right down from that cross he could have spoken the word and the wound in his wrist and in his feet and in his side would have healed on the spot. He could have melted those mockers in their footsteps. But if he had done that, then we would be a people without hope. 
we would be a people who are terrified by death because death has victory. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. The wages of our sin is death, and it has to be paid. And so Jesus chose to stay on that cross. He allowed the mockers to have their their minute of fun so that he would die and pay our debt in full. So that we who are unclean, unclean, might be made clean. So that we who are unrighteous might be made righteous. So that we who are unholy might be made holy. Praise be to God. The sacrament for us is a a feast of remembrance. We remember how Jesus became one of us, took on flesh and blood, and died in our place. The sacrament is for us an occasion where we have communion with God. We believe that in a very real yet mysterious way, God meets us here at the table. And the sacrament is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that we will enjoy one day. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks and praise. Join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that compelled by love for your little girls and little boys, for your sons and your daughters, you left heaven, you came to this earth, you became one of us. And we thank you that while they mocked you from the foot of the cross, you didn't come down from the cross, but you stayed there and paid our debt in full so that we might be healed, so that we might have shalom, healed from sin, have the fullness both in this life and the promise of of life eternal. So Lord, we pray that you would use the sacrament today to to nourish us, to sustain us. Lord, you know the areas where uh, we are weak. You know the the thoughts of our minds that uh, are untrue, how we can think that we're unworthy of your time and attention. Lord, we pray that you would, would speak truth to us, feed us with your truth. Lord, meet us at the table. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.